cool things. We're doing baptisms uh, behind the scenes, and we still have opportunities for those that the Lord may be stirring in your heart for baptism uh, by immersion. Yesterday, we did baptisms on the stage, and so we've got some some uh, windows of time, Saturdays, Tuesday nights, Thursday nights, and it's pretty cool. What we do is we put a trough, literally, we clean it first, but a trough, it's never been used, a trough on the stage, and then they're surrounded by their family and friends on the stage. We pray over them, and then we baptize them in the trough. And so yesterday we had four individuals, two, two uh, kids, one man and one woman, come and get baptized uh, yesterday in their family and friends. So God is doing some really, really, really cool things. And so again, opportunities, if the Lord is stirring in your heart. I echo the words of Sue uh, as we are continuing to move forward, as we are continuing to see where the Lord has taken us. We need you. And so I challenge you. You're going to see this if you guys are a part of our devotions uh, on, on, on social media. I'm, I did a devotion on Saturday that will be posted tomorrow, and I'm echoing the same words. I challenge you that if this is the place that God has called you to, to find your place, we want you to find your place, and it's here if God has confirmed that this is the church, that this is the body, he's got to work for you. And as we're going into that building, man, this is a church plant DNA from day one. And church plant DNA is you don't have 50 pastors. That's not the way it works. Uh, you have pastors, but we're, we're a small staff because we believe that the body of Christ carries out the ministry of the church. Can I get an amen? Amen. So this is you guys. And so we, we want you, as we're you know, transitioning even into that new building, it's daunting. As we look at that and we see needs. We see gaps, and we know that they're here. We know you're here, and so again, we just ask you to be praying and seeking the Lord where you might be able to serve. There are lives that will be changed uh, by your obedience and faithfulness, and I get it. It's a step of faith, and it's scary, but God honors that and blesses that. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. We had our safety and uh, medical team yesterday meeting, and it was cool to see them uh, coordinating, uh, working behind the scenes. They, they say, again, you don't want to see them. You don't want to see them uh, on a Sunday morning, but they do such a great work in helping uh, what we do. And so there's a place for you, and God is doing some great things. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Isaiah 53. If you've been with us, we've been working through the prophecy, 15 verses that backs up into chapter 52. This is the fifth, uh, or the third of the servant songs of Isaiah, right? And so we know that there are five stanzas within this passage. And so you go to uh, verse 13, 14, and 15 of chapter 52. That's the first stanza. Last week we looked at verse 1, 2, and 3. That's the second stanza. Now we come to the middle verse. And I'm telling you, I stand before you this morning overwhelmed. I'm just going to tell you that. Because I know how inadequate I am to stand before you and even try to remotely communicate these verses. I've been overwhelmed all week as I'm looking at these passages and thinking the depths of this, there's no way that we can fully grasp. And so this is my prayer this morning. If you know the Lord this morning, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I pray that you would allow these verses to roll over you in a way like never before and that you would allow yourselves to see your Savior for what he's done for you. And if you don't know the Lord, I pray that you would see Jesus this morning. And I pray that you would see him in a way like you've never seen him before and what he's done for you. And so this morning, with great humility, we go to Isaiah chapter 53. And as we said last week, the context is important, right? This is the prophet Isaiah. We know that he is prophesying about 700 years before the birth of, of Christ. How crazy is that? That these are words, revelations that God has given him 700 years 
before it actually happens. And it's really more details than we even have in the New Testament writings. I mean, it's marvelous when you think about what's happening here. But this was a dark time in, 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 the, in the lives of God's people, right? We know that it's already been split, that the northern kingdom really has already been taken over. Now they're in the southern kingdom, right? And so Isaiah is prophesying to the kings, five kings that Isaiah is prophesying to, of saying, hey, this is what's happening. This is what's going to happen. And so you have to really kind of, kind of pay attention as you're reading the words of Isaiah because he'll go to places. He'll prophesy about what's happening in the present moment. He'll prophesy about what's coming 200 years later. He'll prophesy like we see here, 700 years to Christ. But even what we find in Isaiah 53 is he goes beyond that. He goes all the way ahead to the end and he's looking back at an event that hasn't happened yet. So this is not back to the future. This is ahead to the past. Allow that to sink in for a moment. I'm going to give a little reference to Back to the Future because it was a movie that impacted my life, not for the Lord, but as a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old. And this past week was Back to the Future Day. Did anyone know that? October 21st on Wednesday, that's when Marty McFly went to 2015. Nobody knew that. On October 21st, we were expecting hoverboards, and we never got hoverboards at all. And I told my dad, I was like, Dad, you got to see this movie. He's like, I've never seen it before. So he called me the other day and he says, I'm going to watch Back to the Future. And I looked at him and I said, it's about time. I got one. I got one. Get it? About time. That's high level humor, people. That's Back to the Future humor. All right, here we go. I had to do that a little bit before we get into this text because it is heavy. This text is heavy. This text is dark. This text is heavy. And we talked about this last week, right? You look at this and you're like, okay, what's going on here? In the first six verses of chapter 53, you find first-person plural pronouns. It's a group that is speaking. And so, again, you have to ask the question, who is speaking? When are they speaking? I read, we read this verse last week. Let me put it back up as a reference. Zechariah, 200 years later after Isaiah, says these words about the end. So Zechariah is prophesying about a head looking to the past just as Isaiah, but he's jumping, and he says this, look, and I will pour on the house of David and the habits of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me. Then they, first personal pronouns, the same they that we find in Isaiah 53, then they will look on me whom they pierced. And they will mourn for him, Jesus, as one mourns for his only son and grieves for him as one grieves for the firstborn. This is redeemed Israel. The Bible talks about in Revelation 1 3rd, right? And this is not an ushering in because of a covenant relationship. These are personal professions of faith that are recognizing what they've done. Here is Isaiah prophesying about this group, redeemed Israel, that is looking now back to the cross, going, We killed the Messiah. And as we saw last week, the first three verses, they say why. And we're going to look at that this morning. But here's a transition to it now in verse 4, 5, and 6. Let me tell you, if this is all we had, if all we had was Isaiah 53, 4, 5, and 6, and we didn't have Genesis all the way through Revelation, even if we didn't have the New Testament, these three verses are enough to bring someone to a place of faith. These three verses really show you genuine repentance because it's an acknowledgement of who we are and what we've done. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in reverence to reading God's word. And I don't say lightly in reverence of reading God's word because these verses, 
If you know the Lord, I mean, I pray that you would just allow whatever you walked in with. Jesus is in the middle. We talked about this. But so is the enemy. It's the same matter. He has no original material. The enemy can only lie about what God's doing in our lives. But he's in the middle of it. And whatever you're in the middle of this morning, I'm going to ask you just to and just see with me in these next 20 minutes, Jesus. Let's begin in verse 1. They're looking back. Who has believed our report? Not many. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And then they confess why they missed him. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness when we see him. There is no beauty that we should despise of him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him and he was despised and we did not esteem him. It's an accounting term. We looked at him, we made an evaluation, we determined he was nothing. We did not esteem him. Here's the transition, though. Now they're recognizing, and here's the transition, surely, big word, surely. But now we recognize he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Our English words cannot really explain what they heaved, the depth of those Hebrew words. That he was crushed by God because he's a blasphemer. That's what they thought. But he was wounded. Here's another transition. But he wasn't crushed by God because of his sins. But he was wounded for our sins, for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, the consequences, the punishment of our sins, our peace before a holy God was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. Can I get an amen right there? Amen. But here's the confession. And all of us, if you've never come to this place, I don't have a problem coming to this place in recognition of who I am. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. You want to see grace? You want to see mercy? In spite of that, in spite of spitting upon the face of God and considering him stricken, smitten, afflicted, here's grace. By his stripes, we are healed. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We're humbled by these words that you gave to the prophet Isaiah in a dark time. And in a dark time, the light of your grace, the light of your mercy, the light of Jesus shine through. And right now, Lord, we stand on the other side of this. And Lord, we look back and we see ourselves. Lord, I pray everyone in this room would see that upon the shoulders of Jesus, every sin that we have ever committed, every sin, every gross sin that has been committed in this world was laid upon his innocent shoulders and by his wounds we stand before you healed Lord may everything else find its proper place in our lives when that becomes the central message of our hearts may we live every day captivated and changed by what Jesus has done for us we pray it we ask it in the name of Jesus and all God's people said Amen. You may be seated. I kind of just preached right through the prayer. We can close and go home right there, but we ain't going to do that.
This has been heavy upon me all week. I just have to tell you, I mean, it's one of these passages that I stand before the Lord and I go, how in the world can I preach these words? Because this is me. This is us in this passage. And it all centers upon these words. Five stanzas, and everyone would say that this is, I've heard theologians and pastors say this is the heart of the Old Testament. These three verses. Take everything else, and it's centered upon these three verses. And what you find here is genuine repentance, right? You find them looking back and confessing who they are, right? That he wasn't stricken, smitten, afflicted by God because of his sins, but because of our sins, And it's a recognition, even in verse 6, that, hey, this is my nature. I recognize, first of all, my simple nature. I know that my simple nature then leads to simple thoughts, simple attitudes. We can all relate. And because of those things, there are simple actions. But the contrast is in spite of all of that, this Jesus, this suffering servant, comes and takes upon himself the consequences of my sins. Look at verse 4, and we're going to work through this passage. This word surely, man, is a transition. They've already said in the first three verses, we missed him. And the reason we missed him is because he didn't show up the way we thought he would, right? We talked about this last week, how you can miss the Lord because we have a picture in our minds of what God's going to do. And I don't know about you, he's never done it that way in my life. I've always looked back and go, oh, that was different. Oh, God did a work in my life that I completely could have never dreamed of. And so they're looking back saying, man, we missed him because he didn't arrive the way we thought he was arrived. He didn't show up in royalty. He didn't come from this great family. He wasn't surrounded by rabbis. He was raised from a carpenter, from Nazareth. They even said, does anything good come out of Nazareth? Like he didn't come the way we thought he would come. You know, like a root trying to find, a small root trying to find depth in a parched ground, in a dry ground. There's no way that that could be our Jesus, our Messiah. And so we come to surely, and here's the transition. The word means something that is unexpected. That the one that they esteemed as nobody, right, the accounting term, they looked at him and they esteemed him as nobody, was actually the one body. It was the somebody who actually stepped in and was the substitute for our sins. Now look at this word griefs, man. He was despised and rejected by man and men of sorrows and acquainted with griefs. It says there in verse 3. And then now you come to verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. What you find there in that one sentence are the consequences of our sins. In the context of what's happening here, what are they saying? They're saying that Jesus not only came and was, was in fellowship with our griefs and sorrows, but he took it upon himself. Now, grief kind of describes the outside consequences. And let me just say, <clears throat> it always leads there. Sin always leads to grief. And what you find here in the Hebrew language, the word that's being used here, grief, is actually translated sins. It's the same word. So what he is saying is he took upon himself even the consequences of our sins. And you think about that, right? It always leads there. There's pleasure on the surface, but understand there's something behind. And we can all relate to that. If you've ever been there, if you've ever been deceived by the enemy, let me hear you say amen. Amen? We have, we've all been like sheep who have gone astray. So the griefs is kind of the description of the outside consequences. Now it talks about the sorrow, and he carried our sorrows. There is always inward sorrow as a result of our sins. 
And you may have walked in here in the shambles of your life, broken pieces on the outside and sorrow on the inside. I want you to see this Jesus who says, I will take that for you. And I will take the pieces of your life and create a story that now reflects me. He didn't just come and say, hey, I'm just hanging out in your griefs and sorrows. He took it upon himself. That word born means to take upon himself. See this picture of Jesus. But here's the prayer I have for you. See this picture of our sins. This is where the Lord has got me all week. As a preacher's kid growing up in the church, right, I, I kind of knew how to dance. I knew, I knew how to jig. I knew how to answer the right questions, right? I, I knew the answers to the question before they came. You put me in a Sunday school class, I'll give you the right answers because I'm a preacher's kid. I know the answers. But man, there was this temptation, right? And I've shared with you my testimony. My dad preached it. My dad lived it. My parents lived it. But there was this idea that, hey, I can play with it still. I can get out. Hey, I don't want to jump in the deep end, but I can dip my toes in it a little bit. And let me tell you something. It always leads to grief. It always leads to sorrow. There's no exception. And we as believers sometimes that we can have our little, our little playful sins on the outside and understand, I want you to see the results. I want you to see what it's caused. And when you see your sins and you see the whip being laid upon the innocent shoulders of Jesus, it makes you think about those little things a little different. He bore our griefs. And he carried our sorrows. Look at the next part of this verse in verse 4. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Here they are again saying, we thought the reason was God was punishing him. We thought the reason that all this was happening was God was saying, how dare you, you blasphemer. Right? I mean, the Bible says, I mean, here's this guy walking around saying, hey, you want to see God? You want to see a picture of God? Look at me. How dare you say that? And so they're looking upon him going, man, he's smitten, he is stricken, he is afflicted because of his sins, because he declares that he is God. Now, I want you to see these words, man, these words, stricken, is the same word that's used in the book of Exodus when it talks about God striking down the firstborn. If you're taking notes, listen, write, write this verse down, Exodus 12, 12. I'm going to read the verse that says this, for I will pass through the land of Egypt. You remember this as the final plague. On that night, and I will strike, same word in the Hebrew, I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. So here's this word being used saying, okay, God's striking him just as he struck the firstborn. Look at the next word. Man, these are heavy words. Our English language do not do justice to these words. Not only was he struck by God, he was smitten by God. What does that mean? It means a hard blow, a punch that results in death. And I'll tell you where this word is used in the New Testament. It's crazy. The same word in the Greek is used in Luke chapter 10 in the description of the Good Samaritan. The same word is used in Acts 16 in the beating of Paul and Silas that they were struck. The same word is even used when you find the word scourge. When you find the details of his crucifixion, right, when you go to the New Testament writers, anytime you see the word scourge, it's the same word in Greek that's being used here, that he was smitten by God. He was whipped. He was beaten. We've already read to the point that you couldn't even recognize him. But it was on him, is what they're saying. We thought, and then this final word, afflicted. 
The word afflicted means to inflict oppression. It's the same word again that's being used in Exodus when it describes how the Egyptians took the Hebrew children and they afflicted them. Here's a verse, Exodus 1.11. You can go back and find that same word. And so looking back, here is this Jewish redeemed remnant looking back upon the cross and saying, we thought, we thought that it was God that was doing that to him because how dare him claim to be the same as God. Listen to this verse, write it down. John 10, 17. The words of Jesus says this, therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me. Hold on, What? But I lay it down on myself, and I have the power to lay it down and to take it again. Listen to what it says. This command I received from my father. Jewish religious leaders looking upon him going, blasphemer. And then it says, therefore there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said what? Here's the determination that they came to. He has a demon and is mad. He's crazy. Why do you listen to him? How ironic. Look at verse 10 of Isaiah 53. Look at verse 10. How ironic. They got it kind of right. They got it kind of right. He was afflicted, smitten by God, but it wasn't because of his sins. Look at verse 10. How ironic. Yet it pleased the Lord to what? Bruise him. They were halfway right. It was God's judgment upon him. It was God's wrath upon him. But here's where they missed it. It wasn't because of his stuff. It was because of ours. It was the Father. It says it. Please the Father. It was the Father that laid down his wrath and judgment upon his only son. But it wasn't because of the consequences of his sins. It was the consequences of ours. Every sin ever committed. Allow this to sink in. In the history of time, the grossness of every sin upon the one and only innocent person ever to live. Not born into sin, never had a sinful thought, never had a sinful deed, and yet all of my sins, and I got a ton of them, and even the sins I haven't even yet committed, all of the sins of humanity laid upon the one person, the one person who's ever been born who was truly innocent. If you know the Lord this morning, allow this to sink in. Notice this next part, look at verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgression. So what you're gonna find is this circular motion with this passage. They, they claim this is what we thought, but this is what now we know. This is happening here. So here's another transition in verse five, but he, don't miss that, but he. We thought he was afflicted, smitten, stricken by, we thought that it was on him and it was because of him, but now we see, you wanna see a true confession of repentance? It's found right here. But now we see he was wounded, not because of his stuff, but he was wounded for what? Our transgressions. Listen, the word wounded, again, our English language does not give that justice. It's not some guy laying on the side of the road who was hurt. It literally means he was pierced through. That's why Zechariah refers to him as the pierced one, that he was pierced through because of our transgressions. Listen to these verses. John 19, write this down, verse 32. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who crucified with him. He was crucified with him. 
When they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs to fulfill prophecy, but one soldier pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that Scripture should be what? It's Isaiah. It's referring back to what Isaiah prophesied of. None of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture said, they shall look on him. There's the prophecy whom they pierced. Here's another one, Revelation 1, 7. Let's even go further in time. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see, even they who, what? Pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. Listen, this book is connected. This book is alive. I'm telling you, from Genesis to Revelation, you find it. It's an amazing thing how it all kind of rolls together, but it really lands on these three verses. He was wounded for our transgressions. That word transgressions means willful rebellion, revolt against authority. Here are they acknowledging a true confession of repentance of who they are. We willfully rebelled. Before you can come to a Savior, you got to come to the place of knowing who you are. And that's exactly what they're doing here. He was bruised for our iniquities. The word iniquities means wicked, immoral, in nature, or character. We now see that he wasn't afflicted, smitten, stricken by God because of himself, but God laid upon him the punishment of us. My seminary professor would be so proud of me to use this term. He suffered vicariously. Doesn't that sound smart? That sounds so smart. I love trying to sound smart, but I have to like make sure I write it out to know that I'm sounding smart. But my seminary professor would be so proud of me. Vicariously, what does the word vicarious mean? The word vicarious means done in place of. He suffered vicariously. Done in place of. Do you see this picture? We're standing before a judge guilty. We have no explanation. There's no way we can wiggle ourselves out of it. I'm caught. I deserve the punishment. And someone steps in. Not only does someone step in, the one who steps in is the one that I have spit upon, the one that I have cursed. The one that I've looked upon and in an accounting turn esteemed him as nothing. And he steps in and says, oh, oh, wait up, wait up. Don't let him pay the judgment. Let me pay it. How can that not change you? You look upon these words. I mean, listen to what he's saying here. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. And here's the result. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. The word chastisement means consequences. It means punishment. The punishment I deserve was upon him. What's the result? That I now stand at peace before God. Let me tell you something. There's no substitute for peace in our lives. Can I get an amen? 
There's no substitute for peace in your life. When you're going through a storm and you're walking through the wilderness, there is no substitute for the presence of God that gives you peace that you know this is the Lord because there's no other explanation. There's no substitute for the peace of God in your lives. It'll, it gives you perseverance. It gives you endurance because you know God has me exactly where he wants me. I don't like it. It's, it's not fun. It is hurtful. It's painful. But there's peace in knowing that I'm with the Father. I'm walking with the Lord. There's no substitute for that. I always go to those disciples, right? Here's, here's the highlight of Jesus' earthly ministry. He feeds 5,000. That's just the men. He really fed about 20, 25,000. And the disciples are like, yes, finally. They're going to recognize him for who he is. And they are. They're coming and they're saying, hell, Jesus. And the Bible says they want to take him by force to be king. And what does he do? He sends the disciples away. And he sends them to a boat, and he says what? Cross the Sea of Galilee, and in the middle of the sea, what do they find? These were fishermen. They've been in storms before. This was unlike any storm they'd ever been in. The Bible says they were crying out because they thought they were going to die. They've been in storms before, not like this one. But they were exactly where Christ told them to be. Don't miss that. They weren't in that storm because they were being disobedient. They were in that storm because they were being obedient. They weren't in that storm because of their unfaithfulness. They were in that storm because they were going exactly where Jesus told them to go. Why? Because there was something that Christ wanted to do in their lives and do in our lives that he cannot do otherwise. And we want to wiggle it out. But let me tell you something. There's no substitute for the peace in the storm. And I hear people say all the time, I need the peace of God. I need the peace of God. Let me straight up tell you, you will not get the peace of God unless you're at peace with God. And the only way to be at peace with God is through this Jesus Christ right here. You won't have the peace of God. You'll be anxious. You'll be restless. Because why? Christ is not in the place that he needs to be in your heart and mind. This is heavy, man. We play with sin. We've got these little pet sins in our lives. And we don't see it as the whip that's being laid upon the back of Jesus. The chastisement for my peace, make it personal, was upon him. And what's the result? What's the result? By his stripes. We are healed. We're not talking about physical healing. Man, what, it would be one thing to heal someone physically and then for them to lose their soul for all of eternity. That's not the type of healing we're talking about here. We're talking about being healed. We're talking about God bringing us from death to life. We're talking about God taking us from a road leading to hell and placing us on a road leading to heaven. That's the true definition of healing. Where does that healing come from? It doesn't come from your religious activity. It doesn't come from your good deeds. It doesn't come from how much money you put in the plate. It comes from Christ. By his stripes, we are healed. And now the celebration, man, why should we come in here and sing every Sunday? Listen, we're not the frozen chosen. Can I get an amen? We're not the frozen chosen. There should be life in this service. There should be celebration in this service. Because if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can claim these words. Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but now walk according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ 
Christ Jesus has made me free. We better be celebrating when we come together. There better be life in this place. But there was a price that was paid. And we cannot miss that. Colossians 1.19, for it pleased the Father, get this, that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him, Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself. It pleased the Father that he would lay the iniquities of us upon his son. Think about that. You got kids? It pleased the Father. How much does God want you? How much is God pursuing you? Do you have children? Do you have grandchildren? It pleased the Father that the people who cursed his son spit on his son, that it pleased him because their sins was laid on him. And now we can have a relationship with him. Look at verse 6. And here's a confession of repentance right here. There's none of us in this place that cannot claim these words. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And here it is. Here it is. I mean, if you don't have this assurance this morning, don't leave this place. You're not promised this afternoon. You're not promised tonight. Don't leave this place. If your iniquities have not been laid upon him and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The word going astray means to wander to stagger, to roam about without any purpose. Have you ever been there? Are you there this morning? Don't miss the contrast here. Don't miss the, you want to see grace, you want to see mercy? You want to see the God, here's the Easter message, here's the Christmas message, verse 6. We're sheep, and by the way, that's not a compliment. Let me tell you that right now. There's three Ds when you think of sheep. They are dumb, they are defenseless, and they are directionless. Three Ds. That's how we're described. We're dumb, we're defenseless, we're directionless. And although we're sheep who have gone astray and spit upon the sun, here's the transition, here's the contrast. How could someone reject this? How could someone not allow this to change their lives? That although that was you, although this is a description of your nature, your thoughts, your actions, although all of that, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, with every head bowed and every eye closed. Where are you at this morning? Let me just ask you. Whether you're in this room or you're watching this service, where are you at? Can you say that you stand clean before a holy God, not because you try to do good things, because it will never add up, but because by faith, and you don't have to get it all. I don't get it all. I stand on this stage, I don't get it all. But I know enough to know verse 6. Can you say that you've come to that place of recognition? I get who I am. And I get my natural tendencies, and it's not good things. And the only way I can stand at peace before my creator, if there is a creator and if he is perfect, the only way that I can break that gap, the Bible says, is through faith. Simple question this morning. 
It's the same question I ask the people who walk in the waters of baptism. Have you professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you say that when you read these words, you see your story? Can you say that? That you recognize there's a payment that is owed to God because of your sins. And in that, you've professed faith for the one who says, let me take it. Let me pay it. Let me do what you could never do. Live a life that meets his standards and then die a death that satisfies his judgment. If you've never done that this morning, I ask you, man, maybe right now the Lord is just stirring in your heart. I don't always do this, but let me tell you, the Lord has laid this on my heart all week. I didn't know who was going to show up this morning, and I didn't know who was going to be watching on the screen, but the Lord has put on me heavy this week. Maybe you're stirring right now. And my statement would be to you what my pastor said, what my mentor says, drive a stake in it. Don't wonder, don't hope. The Bible says you can know. Drive a stake in it. That, Lord, I admit who I am. These words, I admit who I am. I know who I am. I know what I've done, and it's against you. I confess that. Right now, where you are, you and the Lord, no one else in this room, you can say those words. Lord, I confess my sins. And by faith, I believe in the one who this book says came and paid for my sins. You can say that right now before the Lord. No one else, you and the Lord, no magic words. This is a heart that professes faith. And by faith, I put my trust in Jesus, not a religion, not organized religion, not a church, in a person, the Son of God who came and died and rose again. I put my faith in Jesus. And I ask you to save me, childlike faith. I ask you to save me, to live in my life, and to now send me in the direction that I don't naturally go. I know the results when I'm leading it. And so, Lord, in this moment right now, I ask you to be the King and the Lord of my life. I'm going to do something. I don't always do this, man. If you're in this room, I'm going to ask you to do something. It takes great courage, and I know your heart is beating out of your chest. I've sat there. I've been there. If this morning you just want to drive a stake in it, and you prayed those words, I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to do something right now. We're just going to celebrate. I'm going to ask you to stand and just look at me. Anyone in this room, I'm going to ask you to stand. Anyone stirring right now, the Lord is just leading you to take this stand. Amen. Praise God. Well, to believers in this room, do we see Jesus for what he's done for us? Not just I'm going to heaven and I can play with the things in my life that I know God has told me to remove them because there's grief and there's sorrow that's following it. As a believer, can you just say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to be the center of my life. And I ask you, Lord, to, to give me wisdom to recognize the traps of the enemy. Because he comes to seek, steal, and destroy my family, my marriage, my children, my life. So, Lord, keep me. Don't let me play with things. Keep me. And may each day I see a Jesus not far off 
the one who came and took my place. And may I be captivated by that, right? Every day, not by the things of this world. May I be captivated by what we just read. And because of that changed, my direction has changed. I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And we're just going to close our service in a time of prayer. Our Heavenly Fathers, we come before you this morning. And Lord Jesus, again, we are overwhelmed. I am overwhelmed as we stand before you, recognizing who we are, recognizing our nature, recognizing our thoughts, recognizing our actions. And in spite of that, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. In spite of that, upon the shoulders of Jesus, laid on him the iniquity of us all. May we not get past that, Lord. And may that be the central theme of our hearts and our minds, Lord, not the stress and the things of this world. May this right here be the central theme of our hearts and our lives. And Lord, you're going to change us. You're going to make us like Christ. Lord, the refiner's fire, Lord, may the world look upon us and not see a mirror. May the world look upon us and see a window. And within that window, may they see Jesus, not someone who is perfect, but a work in progress. And you have promised to finish the work that you've begun. So, Lord, to the ones in here that maybe you began today, to hearts that cried out, may you confirm that. To the believers in this place, Lord, may we every day, hey, just come to these verses and see Jesus for what he's done for us. We thank you that the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. May Jesus be quick to our minds and our lips. In a world where everything else is quick to come there, may Jesus. We pray it and we ask it in his name and all of God's people said, amen. God bless you. May you have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.